Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Diecast Movie Podcast. My name is Michaela. I'm joined here with my dad, Steve, and my brother, Ben. And for this episode, we have a wonderful guest with us today. Dad, why don't you go ahead and introduce him to us? Sure. We've had him in a past episode when we did an interview, episode 34. Um, he starred in The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, Sinbad in the Eye of the Tiger, besides many other films. And when you look in the, the dictionary and you see the word gentleman, you see his picture, the wonderful Kurt Christian. <laughs> good Hello, Kurt. afternoon, everybody. <laughs> How are you? We're good. How are you? Super. Really good in Los Angeles and uh, beautiful weather. And I'm talking about a super film. Oh, yes. I'm ready to dive into this one. Just before we get into the film, I mean, because this episode is going out in December, um, Michaela, Ben, anything you want to tell listeners about that they might want to get for Christmas or get with their Christmas money? So one thing that um, I think would be pretty cool to either get with your Christmas money or to give someone as a gift um, that my youngest brother was thinking about for some of his friends is the WWF, the World Wildlife fund i think it's the world wildlife fund um they have it where you can some symbolically adopt an animal and um whatever animal that you adopt they send you a like kit and it usually has like a stuffed animal of that animal and i think a picture and more information about it and the money that you use to like adopt that animal goes towards conservation that they do for that species so if you wanted to give back this giving season, that would be one way to do it. Um, one thing that I would suggest is checking out one of the friends of our podcast, Ansel Farage, and several of his works. And we're even going to play a little promo that we have that Ansel sent over for you right now. Hi, this is Ansel Farage, and I'd like to invite you to check out my film, Loon Lake folk horror thriller based on the Minnesota ghost story of Mary Jane, the Witch of Loon Lake, streaming now on Tubi TV and Amazon Prime, starring David Selby and Catherine Lee Scott of Dark Shadows, Nathan Wilson and Kelly Kitko, and directed by myself. It's also available on special edition Blu-ray and DVD, which you can order from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Best Buy, and Oldies.com, where you can also check out several other of my releases on DVD, such as The Nighttime Winds, Theater Fantastique, The Dr. Mabuza Collection, and The Last Case of August T. Harris. I hope you check out my film, Loon Lake, and I hope you enjoy it. You believe this is a test? I must believe it. There's no witch. She's just some poor girl. I will come for you in three days' time. Fear does crazy things. Check it all out at HollandsworthProductions.com. H-O-L-L-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H productions.com and enjoy Loon Lake. And um, that was a great promo. And again, with Ansel, go to oldies.com. You can get all of his films there besides the ones that he mentioned that are on Amazon Prime and Tubi TV. But there's one thing I want to bring up that's coming out December 22nd of this year, 2020. And Kurt, this is something I think you'd be appreciative of. Vanessa Harryhausen is coming out with a book about her dad, Ray Harryhausen, Titan of Cinema. And um, it's where she goes over a hundred different items that um, she uses as representative of his life and her relationship with him. And it's, I've seen some pictures of the book and I've seen some other stuff of the book. It looks wonderful. I've pre-ordered it. I haven't got any yet because it doesn't come out in America until December 22nd. Um Okay. Anything you want to share about Vanessa or Ray Harryhausen? Because obviously you got to work with one and you got to meet the other. Yeah. So uh, Ray, I did two movies with, and um, he was basically directing them as far as all the action goes. So there was just for maybe 10 months we worked together, you know. And he was marvelous to work with and sweet, kind of like a, like a like an uncle, you know. And, f and full of verve and energy and love for what he was doing. And um, he brought 
this little girl at the time, I think she was probably nine, maybe, um, onto the set, and she was the sweetest thing, and we used to talk and chat, and and I talked to her as if she was an adult, so she um, got quite an attachment to me, and, and I'd tell her stories and all kinds of things. And Ray would bring in the statues of the actual, what, what we were working with that day, you know, the, the little hands, Minute moments and uh, movements, you know, tiny little movements that uh, that he was famous for, and so there's a magic uh, memory of, of her. And then seeing her again, like a year and a half later, a year and a half ago, she did a, a podcast at my house, and uh, and to see her as a grown lady was wonderful. And she's as warm as she was then, and so proud of her dad, you know. And, and thankfully, she's helping with the, the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation to keep his works alive and going strong and hopefully well into the future. So future filmmakers and people who are just fans of his work will see these and appreciate yeah. it and know, know what he did and worked with and created. Yeah, absolutely. She's doing amazing work with that. And he is a very beloved figure, especially here in Hollywood, and, and has a huge following of uh, admirers, you know, from, from Spielberg onwards, you know, it's pretty amazing. Cool. And again, that book, um, Ray Harryhausen, Titan of Cinema, it's um, available on Amazon for pre-ordering. If, if you're listening to this episode after Christmas, then it's already out there. You can just go get it with maybe some of that extra Christmas money you got and, um, and have a chance to enjoy, um, I'm sure, which is a daughter's loving tribute to her father, which hopefully I'll be able to see also again, right around Christmas time. Great. Okay, so let's get on to the movie. Um, Michaela, do you want to play the trailer for us real quick? Okay. Um, so why don't we go ahead and play the trailer? And I don't think we've told them what the title of the movie is yet. Um, so we're going to go ahead and play the trailer for Baby Driver. Shop! Let's talk it! The target is an armored truck at Perimeter Trust, 10 a.m. sharp. Switch car, baby. Long state parking structure. Start in the a.m. Questions. I got a question, Doc. Why would I believe phones over here hear the goddamn word you said? He ain't even listening. Baby. The target is an armored truck at Perimeter Trust in Dunwoody, 10 a.m. sharp. The switch car is ready, but you want me to hit the long state parking structure and get a high vehicle that stays colder longer? It needs to be ready for an 8.30 start. Questions? You've been my driver for every job since we met. You're the best in the business. I'm going to need you behind the wheel again. One more job and I'm done. One more job and we're straight. Why is he listening to music all the time? He had an accident when he was a kid. He's got mental problems? I'm the one who got the mental problems in the crew. Position taken. What is your name? Baby. Your name's Baby. B-A-B-Y, Baby. <laughs> in this business. The moment you catch feelings is the moment you catch a bullet. My lucky charm, and I'm not doing this job without you. Your uh, waitress girlfriend, she's cute. Let's keep it that way. I have to drive again. It's not what I want. And what do you want? To get out of here. You win. I'm in, baby. We are 24 hours and being descended upon by this entire city. Have you been talking about us? Supposed to go on the road, not the cops. We're getting out. I have to end this. What's happening, baby? That's some Oscar shit right there. Sorry, ma'am. So that was the trailer for Baby Driver. Um, so Kurt picked this movie, correct? 
Yes, Kurt right. picked the movie. Exactly. We, yeah, we rolled the dice. He got action, and Kurt picked Baby Driver. And why did you pick the movie, Kurt? Um, it's a 2017 movie by uh, Edgar Wright, who's uh, one of my favorite uh, directors. And this movie is unique because it's it's ostensibly a, a thriller, but it's got so many other elements in it, especially the the, the device of the music and why we have this soundtrack. Yeah. And the soundtrack is so integral to the, to the movie. And you're thrown in right from the beginning into uh, an action sequence that's uh, only similar to either Heat or John Wick, that kind of level of action sequence. It's fantastic driving. And, and you know exactly where you are instantly with like four quick close-ups, a shot of the car, a shot of the driver, and then this strange thing that he does where he has to have the music come in at the right time and then lets them go, and they rush into a bank. And and you see it from a different, you see all the bank stuff from far away, you know, from his POV, and that makes it so much more vivid. And, and uh, right away you're in, in, in a major action sequence, and with fantastic driving and very thrilling, and you're on the edge of your seat. And then it, the next cut is of him walking down the street, uh, you know, in a choreographed La La Land type of <laughs> movement. This is all in one steady cam shot. But it's fantastic. So you're in a very cinematic environment. And it's hard also to, to think of what era it is. Even though you see contemporary things, it feels more like it was set in the fifties or the sixties, with the diners and, uh, and and a lot of the action. Oh, I agree. So I think... it's a basic... <laughs> I'm sorry, you go, Kurt. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I was, was going. I was going to agree with you. I think a lot of the, the choices that Edgar Wright made, whether where he made it, the screenwriting or the combination of the two. Um, with the diners, with the um, Walkmans, with the cassette tapes. I mean, it has all this different, and of course the cars are, uh, you know, more modern. Um, it's just amazing how yeah. you take all these different things and it makes a film that it, it's it's virtually, I think it's going to last for a long time because of its agelessness, because it just has that, the, the yeah, same absolutely. film still. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, even in that trailer, the opening music is is uh, Dave Brubeck. You know, yeah, that's old jazz from from the nineteen seventy or something. You know, so it's pretty amazing. And he's yet yeah, it's got a driving beat, and you've got that feel that you're in something. Oh, I know with the music and Mikhail. You, I know you have a love of music with this. What is, what, what, what is your opinion of music in the movie? I really liked. Um how they did the music because it was at least from what I remember it was almost like you only heard music when baby was listening to it I think um or at least almost always you only heard it when he was listening to it um good point and so it really was kind of like you were experiencing it like almost completely from his perspective like it was just entirely what was going on around him and how he was viewing his what he was doing. And you really were able to get a feel for how music helped him and how he like needed it in order to, I guess, function and time things properly, um, which I thought was really cool. And you did mention the... <laughs> scene where he's like walking to get coffee and he has music playing and he's doing like these different choreographed things and one thing that I thought was really cool is that they also have if you watch the signs and some of the graffiti as he's going along it'll line up with the words of the song as he's going through which I think is really cool yeah absolutely there's lots of little touches like that that I really like and references you know, to, to lots of different things. And also the music is many different eras and many different... And yet all of it feels contemporary. It all feels like it's, like it's, it's new stuff, you know? Yeah, the music definitely took this from a movie that would have been more like your typical heist film 
or typical criminal film and gave it a whole new look and feel because instead of having that long drawn out sequence where it's quiet and it builds suspense you have music that keeps it every scene has a certain tempo and it changes with the music so it gives it an entirely different feel than a regular um heist movie or criminal crime movie yeah and yet they keep the excitement of that and and the the and the grittiness of like of of, uh, of heat or any of those where you have prolonged um, sequences of a lot of action and then a lot then some brutality uh, and then a lot of gun work and and it's also he's the reluctant guy in that part he doesn't want that to happen he wants it to be an in out thing and, and off you know uh, and that's that's that makes that puts you in there as a reluctant hero yourself. You know, as you feel much more connected that way. And so anything that happens to him, you feel very protective of. Uh, and then later when he meets the girl, even more so. That's, that mixture is, is all, all missing because often the protagonists in a, in a heist movie are just as shitty as everybody else. Now, excuse my language. Uh, and, and you don't really have you're not really rooting for me, except that it's a big movie star. <laughs> well, that, that the one of the things I liked about the film is it establishes in the first act um, that he is the reluctant getaway driver. You know that he that, that Kevin Spacey's character um, Doc is the one that's forcing him to do these different deeds because um, um, I mean he he did do some criminal acts when he was younger, and that's what led him to get to Doc because Doc caught him. He made the one mistake, yeah. Stealing Doc's exactly. car and getting caught, and that's when he knew he was such a good driver. And um, as as the trailer said, Doc considers him his good luck charm, and is on and is one is one of the few people, actually the only person that's on every job. Yeah. And yeah. but I think and, and we established with the stunt work and with the the excellent driving that it's totally believable, because you see what he can do, and it's phenomenal. Yeah, that kind of came to like the perfect culmination of an actor doing everything that they could to do their own stunt work, especially with the cars. Oh, and yeah. And the director yeah. knowing when to have a professional stunt driver do it that had more experience than uh, Ansel Elgort did just for the safety right. and I guess to get a little bit better shots on several of the scenes. Mm. Mm. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. He threw himself into it and wanted to do as much as possible. I understand that from making movies, uh, especially at his age, you know, that, that wanting to be a major part of it. And getting this chance to learn how to drive like that and to do those stunts, you know, because he could probably do them himself, a lot of it himself. You know. uh, and also the, the explanation of the, of the tinnitus is very important. Uh, as as the, the cover up because that noise is constantly in your ear, so that's very interesting and that's done very well too. Yeah, and, yeah. It was a <clears throat> it was great that two of the featured characters, um, uh, Ansel Elgort's character Baby had the tinnitus, and then his uh, foster father was deaf, and it brought that more out into the public eye because a lot of movies would shy away from something like that, especially in a movie that features music so much, but they have the music in it throughout and they explain it in such a way that it makes complete sense. Is CJ Jones plays the foster father. I think his name is Sam. Oh, Joe. Is it Joe? Joe. Oh, Joe. I'm sorry, Joe. And, um, one of the things they, they, they establish is like him being hearing impaired and he is hearing impaired in real life. So, and that was the other thing about Ansel learning this is that he had to learn how to sign believably and that CJ Jones helped tutor him besides the tutors that they had there to get through um, and make it um, as believable as possible. And one of the scenes I love is when, he falls for the girl and he's like listening to certain music and he, and um, he's listening to a song and Joe so subtly just backs up 
I think his wheelchair to the, the speaker and puts his hand on the speaker and he's just going with right. the music and he has a smile and he knows that that um, baby is falling in love, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And yeah. He's so proud right. of him and he's such a great parental figure and um, and that kind of thing. Yeah. It's just their, their relationship is so well done, acting wise, written script wise, yeah. directing. It's it, it makes it really makes the movie. Yeah, I agree. And at the at the end, when he takes them to the to the um, home, you know, to protect him, and he's carrying him and running up the stairs with him, and he, you see the frailty, and uh, and it's very touching actually that moment. So those that that um, contrapuntal thing between action, the sociopaths and psychopaths, the action and and this tenderness and sweetness. Oh, I agree. I mean, it's it's not often you get an action film with such well developed characters in in the different starring roles, and, and they're given the chance to have those relationships show on screen. Because so many times it just goes from um, action bit to action bit, you know, and, and set up, you know, and just basically setting up the next um, stunt, and which is fine to watch on screen. But then after a while, you don't really care about anybody. With this one, it really. That's right. It takes the time for That's you right. to care about those characters and what happens to them, and um, and and even even some even though a lot of them are doing things for nefarious means, some of them have redeeming values, and some of them are just total psychotic. Right, right. And then it it's also very interesting for an action movie where the main character is kind of doesn't want to be involved in the fights his whole thing is really getting away from them. And that's what he does for most of the film. It's either he's running and doing parkour, escaping from the police, or he's driving away and escaping the random guy at the bank that had like a submachine gun in his truck for some reason. Right, right, right. And it just, it kind of gives you that juxtaposition versus something like Rambo, where he's going and actually taking people out that's his action versus a you know, more like fast and furious style action where they're driving the cars and escaping and going fast right. more than just hitting really hard yeah and then the culminating escape is is when the girl picks him up and they go on the road you know nice that he's escaping from all of his past you know and and all the brutes Getting and he finally does get away with him with his with his girl. It's uh, it's got a, a whole sort of uh, mythological thing about it as well, you know, like an old Greek myth. You know. Well, that's one of the things I like is that at the at the end he decides not to run anymore, deal with what happened, and then and then he has that when he's when he's through that part, he's now a free man and has no attachments to those bad things that have happened before and now can actually be with um, his girlfriend and actually have that fun. I think her name is Deborah. Yep. Yeah. Played by Lily James. Deborah. Yep. Deborah. And then that's a marvelous sequence when they, when they start talking and, uh, and he plays the, the songs playing and, uh, and the, and the T-Rex stuff and all of that is very sweet and very funny enjoyable oh, and she's yeah. very very touching herself you know she's, she's very uh she's she's got a natural charisma and and is very relaxed and sweet natured uh, and it's totally believable again just as the psychos are you know? <laughs> <laughs> and i think and, and you probably go ahead say. i was uh, no you go first uh, i was going to talk about the the um you know the sequences that it resembled uh, 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 the action sequences. I'm talking about uh, were Heat and, the, and a couple of the newer movies, but and in Heat, that was copied here in in Los Angeles by two two thieves who copied who got Kalashnikovs and and AR-15s and robbed a bank, and in their rucksacks were. Um, their backpacks were copies of Heat, and they they weren't soldiers, 
They weren't had no background. They had just studied the movie constantly, and and shot many people and shot this bank up. And finally, and the cops were completely outgunned by them because they had machine guns. You know, they had. Uh, so so that the grittiness of that and the total full reality of it, because they don't spare you from the people that do get shot and and, uh, and murdered, you know. And and that really hits you in that movie because you just got into a good mood from the cute scene, you know, <laughs> and then comes another something brutal, you know. So um, that that was an actual incident that happened in North Hollywood here, and it took all day before before they could could uh, bring down these two guys. So uh, they they copied that. They got, oh, didn't copy, but they developed the same kind of. Uh, Reality-based action, uh, and then go in more into to softer fantasy type stuff between you know, other characters, that's which a, I like a lot. That's just weird when, when people <laughs> try to make the movies reality in a sense, and thinking like, "Oh, this will be the perfect crime if we do this." And um, yeah. you have to you have to wonder about. Um, what's going on with them you know and that kind of thing because a lot of times with movies there's that total um fantasy part element that they're missing but it seems like in this one they're able to sadly cause a lot of destruction and harm right and then in this movie a lot of the one of the more violent characters was bats played by jamie fox who really did an yeah. excellent job in this film he was super definitely one of the most hateable characters probably yep. the most hateable character on screen yeah and you felt in danger all the time when he was that he might go off at any moment which is a, a, a very tense feeling definitely it was like so anytime he anytime he was in a scene you were you were nervous that Hansel was going to get in trouble something horrible was going to happen it seemed like he was the only character that didn't need motivation to do something. Like, um, no, who was it? Darling and Buddy were there for the money and for the adrenaline and the rush. Um, Doc was right. doing it for the cash. Baby was doing it to get Doc off his back. They all had this motivation, right. and then Bats is there because he's crazy. And because yeah. he wants to have that that moment where he could kill somebody, and it that's right, it just makes his character so much more dangerous than all these other characters who are career criminals. And as we find yeah. out throughout the film with Buddy, possibly he was the most dangerous of them all. But uh, Jamie Foxx's portrayal of Bats made him feel like danger on the screen. Yeah. Okay, well, you haven't seen. You haven't once he lost, once he lost his wife, uh, that was that was it for him. He he just wanted to go down the drain. He became I like the, he became like Johnny. the term. John Hamm's character became like the Terminator then, which was kind of absolutely. Which the wife called it. She said, yeah. "You don't want to get on his wrong side. He's a very dangerous man." And dang, did they make that show in the last act of the movie? Because you, know? you thought, like Ben said, you, you kept thinking that Jamie, Jamie Foxx's character Bats was going to be the major baddie at the end, but it was uh, not even close. <laughs> oh yeah, and right. just because and they had that on, just because we didn't mention it, um, John Hamm played Buddy and. Eli, Eli, Isa Gonzalez or Eliza Gun, Gonzalez played yeah. Darling. All right, Michaela, you haven't said anything. Yeah, more. they were both terrific. Anything you want to add, like that you liked and enjoyed so far? I mean, you're kind of nodding your head a lot, but I'm, you know, I'm going to give you a chance. I don't know. One of the scenes that I enjoyed is when Doc took Baby to go case the like last bank and stuff, and. So you think it's just, you know, the two of them in the car, he gets, he pulls up in front of the bank and he's explaining, he's like, so I want you to go in and count how many security cameras, how many security guards, are they armed, how many tellers, which ones are open, what are the hours, are they going to be the same people there and everything? And then he's like, oh, by the way, take the nephew so you don't look as suspicious. And then you just, the camera just like goes to the back as they turn and you just see this kid playing on his 
was it was a switch oh, it was a psp <laughs> oh psp yeah playing on his psp um just being like hey and so baby and the nephew go in and the nephew's continually playing on the psp and you see baby trying to count these cameras and then the nephew just nudges him and he's like there's 10 and like he, he rattles off all this information and you never see him look up from his PSP. Yeah. Yeah. It's a marvelous little sequence. Really, really terrific. And the kid is actually the coolest person in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. He, he's, <laughs> he's the one that's a completely self-contained guy that happens to be eight. You know? <laughs> it definitely seemed like yeah, Doug that had terrific. a replacement coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he obviously was a... He knew everything about everything. But the future of the career criminal was set up. I, th- I think we know what he'll be doing. You know, to, if they ever do a sequel, it's got to involve. It's got to be set down the road, and it's got to be this kid as an adult, you know, or teenager running the whole shebang, you know, and, and just 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 doing it because it it, yeah. it would fit. But I mean, I really don't care if there's sequels. This movie is just so great. I don't think. I think yeah. to do more than one would just spoil it, you know, unless you were, like I said, to do with that character and have totally different cast, you know, that'll, that'll be, the they, they have, um, they have talked about sequel to that movie. It has been thrown around and the, the public's very much into it, but, um, but I agree with you totally. I think it's a one-off and it's great in its own right. And then you'd be stretching things and forcing things if you did a sequel. Yeah, it's definitely a movie that would deserve to have a sequel, but it would probably be remembered better if it just never had the sequel. Because it's a complete movie. And it's really one of a kind. The only movie that really feels like this when you're watching it is something like La La Land, where it's got the music and the action and moves at a a rather fast pace because of the music that's continuous in the background. That's right. I was thinking when I was watching this movie with the, the way the music was so involved, but in a different way, this, this one, like we said, established early, the music is from baby's point of view. Um, but a movie that incorporates mu- music very well that came out not that long ago would be Guardians of the Galaxy, which um, really incorporated. But that one was being utilized sometimes not all the time but a lot of times through um the main character star lords again is walkman you know it's, it's interesting with the walkmans you know and those kind of things you know be, where he's yeah. hearing that the music is going through him but not always and, and, and so i think those those two are, are very spiritually um connected in in the utilization yeah. of the music of all different types of uh, not actually his his is more set in the eighties, but I mean this one is more all different types of genre and all different types of decades um, in Baby Driver. Yeah. But I mean, but I think both of them do a very good job of incorporating that music into making a, a very good action type film. Plus, he was he had very intricate equipment at home, and he was mixing those soundtracks himself to make exactly what he wanted. You know. Mixing songs and mixing... That was very interesting. That could have been explored, too. But he, but instead, what I like about this director is he allows you to... If you're smart enough, you'll pick up on those things like Michaela uh, picked up on the graffiti. You know, it's just, it's, uh, you, you'll get added little slips if you're, if you're, if you're sharp. You know? And that equipment was really good equipment. Very expensive. So that's what he was spending his extra cash on so when he made the, the deborah song that was a lot of fun when he hit back and forth in there so that was very entertaining too so that, one of the things about the movie altogether is you're entertained you're for the whole two hours or whatever it is and it seems like 22 minutes you know, it's, it's great in that sense the pace and the editing it definitely moves well and um <laughs> And, and goes through that, that that like you said that that pace where you're you're on the edge of your seat for certain scenes you're laughing at certain scenes you're you're being touched I mean there's so many different emotions that they were able to get across um, during the film that makes it that makes it very very enjoyable 
Um, one of the things I wanted to mention, we kind of glossed over, is like Doc always has a different crew for each of his different um, jobs, and we see him with three different crews during this movie. One and each, like each act, has a different crew. And the first act, John Burfinall, who plays the Punisher in the Netflix series, was I kept you know it was in there, and I'm like, it's John Burfinall. And that was the only thing he was in was that first part. And he was, of course, with um, Buddy and Darling and Baby when, Mm -hmm. oh, gosh, that was in the first sequence. And I'm guessing they were hitting a bank. And there was kind of the, there was an implied scene where John Birth and all, we see it from Baby's perspective, where he takes somebody into the back with a gun to their head. And then you kind of see Baby just turn away because he doesn't want to. Yeah. See if he shoots the person or not. But one of the right. things I wanted to bring up is John Burfell's character is talking to Baby and saying, you know, you, sooner or later you're going to have to get your hands dirty. You're going to have to get involved in this. And I think that establishes when Bats comes in, who is like the, the crazier version of John Burfinall's character. I mean, you know, you're talking like dialed to 11, he dialed it to 20. And he actually does put a gun in baby's hand. He actually forces baby into um, different sequences to be involved in that. And it's not like he has a choice because, you know, baby's so scared that this guy is just going to shoot people anyway. And so he goes along because he realizes he has literally no choice in those scenarios. And I think that's, it, it, was, it was an interesting progression that with, with, with his, with John Burfinall's character was wishing actually comes true in that second act and third act with um, Bats' character because he's in that second group and Bats is also with the third group, which brings back um, Deborah's character and um, Buddy's character. Darling's character. Or Darling's characters and um, Buddy's character into it. But that second group, I have to say, is the most fun, funny yeah, that was me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what what is the name of the um, the other actor that got the wrong mask? Oh, oh he played J D. Um, Lanny June or John J O O N. Okay, that's a common Korean name. June. So he played J D. He was he was, he was hilarious. He was hilarious. Yeah, was well, hilarious. When you go to get yeah, the Michael Myers the mask. <laughs> Yeah, but you get Michael Myers from Austin Powers instead of Michael Myers, the Halloween killer. It's a, it's a great cinematic joke. Man. It's marvelous. When I thought it was marvelous, when I it was funny when they said no to Halloween movies, and he's like, "What do you mean, Jason's mask?" And they're like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You had it all wrong. And then, and then John Hamm at the end is kind of like a Jason. He's unkillable, and he keeps recovering from the most horrific things <laughs> and still is still after them, you know, yeah. um, until he, until he, until they get him off the edge of the thing. Otherwise <laughs> he'd have been there forever. You know? <laughs> that was it. There's a lot of foreshadowing and there's a lot of, uh, in, uh, movie stuff that's so terrific, you know, and works so well. And he's obviously a lover of cinema, you know, I think one pretty cool thing about the second crew was a lot of these other characters, with the exception of Bats, and um, yeah, with the exception of Bats a little bit, they're all a lot more intellectual and collected versus Bats is out there. And then JD, that scene just makes him seem like he's the dumb one, quote unquote, or I guess uh, so to speak. Versus the like intellectual criminals that have the plan and everything. He's the one that screws up the plan or like the, uh, the Scooby doing shaggy of the mystery gang. I still love, I still love um, JD's interaction with baby uh, before the job. And, and for those that, uh, JD is like covered in tattoos, the neck, the head, you know, the face, whatever. he's got tattoos all over him. And he's like, he's, and he got this one word like marked out, you know, on his, that was on his neck and baby's looking, it's like, why did you do it? He goes, well, I'm having, I was having trouble. I'm having trouble getting in jobs. 
And so I figured if I take this off and baby and baby's like, well, how's that working for you? Or something like that. It was hilarious line, you know, cause, cause baby doesn't usually yeah. throw a lot of shade or humor. And it was just uh, interesting to see how, you know, cause he looks like this straight laced person. And it, 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 the two of them, you just never would ever expect to ever see them together, except in this particular case of doing a heist. Well, I think, yeah, the, right. I think the line was, I think he had love hat on his neck or something like that and he said something like love hat what does that mean and he said well it said hate but i had the e taken off and then he was like why and he explains it and then he says how is that working out for you and the other guy was like well who doesn't love hats yeah it's it's (laughs) that's right that's right and, and, and that's all you got to give credit for. Again, I don't know if it's Edgar Wright with the screenwriter working in, working in conjunction. Um, yeah, I'm sure. But, the, but to allow the humor, especially with Bats's character, you need that when he's in those scenes, you need humor to un- undercut um, the um, the psychoticness of that character when he's around and, and, and the, um, right. the suspense a little bit. But it, it's a very balanced movie. Yeah. And, and, um, Ansel doesn't is kind of passive right up until almost the last reel. You know, when that's when he takes over and decides he's got to take do it and face the consequences. And hopefully, his girl will be waiting. Maybe you know, but and she is, and that makes it work so much better. Uh, but he faces it. You know, he doesn't. Uh, and he goes to prison. Uh, that works really well. I thought the um, when he went to the. The judge, McCann, I remember you and I were talking about this before. When when he went to the when he was going to court, all these people were coming up and I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. All of the people in the courtroom when they were doing the trial for baby, you had uh his step his uh, foster father Joe saying about how he was taking care of him and he was really a good kid, but he just got stuck in a bad situation. And then Deborah talking about how he was doing a lot of stuff to try and protect her. And then you get this little old lady who he stole a car from. And she's like, he stole my car, but then he gave me my purse back. He was the nicest. It was the nicest thief theft that had ever happened. <laughs> That's right. And, and don't forget oh, about the, the teller too. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The bank teller, and then the, when the last time they robbed a bank, uh, he had gone. Wasn't the bank? It was the post office. Post oh, office. post office. Was it a post office? It was yeah, a post office. Oh, post yeah. office. Yeah. It was the one they went to. Um, they were going after the money orders. Yeah, going after the money orders. Um, she was coming into work past his car and she recognized him so she smiled at him and he shook his head and she like stopped and he's like don't go in and so she turned and went away and things started to go downhill from that plan from there but she went and got security guard but anyway she was testifying for him as like he didn't have to say anything he decided to tell me to not go in and probably he like he saved her life. Those other people would have killed her in a heartbeat. And Bats as soon as Bats came out, he came right out and shot the cop. And just like got in the that's car right. and nothing happened. Oh my god, that's great. right. Brutal. Yeah. That's what I, I like because when you think about it, the whole script, the foreshadowing of of what's going to happen down the road is right there in front of you. you know, you're getting these clues. And then when it does, does all come together, it makes complete sense. Because yeah. you remember those things too, those little incidents. And also, you kind of see how Baby gets thrown off progressively as the movie goes. Because in the beginning, he's very on time and his music is in sync with what he's doing and it's all right. lined up right. perfectly. And then progressively, as the movie gets on, things keep happening, and then he's needs to restart his song before they go into the bank in the second heist. And then in the third one, he's just a little bit off-tempo the whole time. And it's like, you can see that he's being thrown off by the stuff that's happening around him. And it's just, 
leading to the progressive downfall of their whole criminal organization. Well, also right. another way to to show if I was going to bring that up too about him being thrown off was at at the end of the second heist. When you guys are talking about the end of the first heist, when he was doing that dance routine, he was, one of his routines is to go get the coffee and then they divvy it while they're divvying up the money. Yeah. At the end of the second heist, he's going to he's coming back from getting the coffee and and what he's doing is trying to move with the music. He's bumping into people. He's in the way. He's he's out of sync with. Everything's not working yeah. well, and that's because bats is the element in a heist that heist that threw everything off, and um, and and, 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 and that character is just like changing the parameters around baby and how things would be normally going, and um, and obviously the, which which kept having repercussions into the third act and into that third heist. That bats was the catalyst yeah. that caused a forcible change in his, in his character. And um, and had and had a movie resolved. And we are yeah. Ja- Jamie, when Jamie Fox read that script, he he asked to be in it immediately. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of interesting. I for one am glad that he did because he absolutely wrote that role. Yeah, yeah. One Definitely. of the things one of the things I noticed also is the colors. Um, if I remember right, Bats was always wearing red. Yeah. And um, and a lot of the other characters were in certain colors, and um, for and early on in the movie, baby's colors are more muted, more um, blending in, and then it changes as the movie goes along. Um, but th- with the introduction of Bats's character, it it starts to take him from that area of of being in the middle to picking a side so to speak, which is what John Berthold's character started. Like right. you got eventually you're going to have to start doing these things. You can't just stay on the sidelines. And like we said, which led to him making that choice at the end of the movie of, of how things would play out. Yeah. It's interesting that the, the two craziest characters like John, um, what's his name? Berthold? Berthold. Okay. He, he and, played um, Griff. And, yeah. And, um, and Jamie Foxx, um, uh, I'm really annoyed by Baby. It's so funny that he irritates them so much <laughs> that they have to bully him. They have to constantly bully him because <laughs> they can't. They don't get it. They don't get him. You know, <laughs> they don't like him. <laughs> Very interesting juxtaposition. You know, you can. I get that. I can understand why he would because he's more passive and he's why are you here? <laughs> and it's kind of funny because like. Doc almost views Baby as his child because he really yeah. takes care of him in the end. And yeah. earlier on, it's almost like Buddy and Darling kind of view him as like the younger brother where they're in the car making out in the back seat yeah. talking about, and she says yeah. something about killing bats and Buddy says something like, we can't say that in front of Baby. And she goes, oh, Baby won't do anything. And it's kind of like that moment... Where the two older yeah. uh, older brother and his girlfriend are making out, and the younger brother just doesn't do anything. And Buddy was yeah. like listening That's to music with point. him, and it kind of shows that dynamic. And then Bats and John Berthenall's characters—they're like the outsiders that just don't get this kid and are gonna mess with him. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's that's the one thing with um, John yeah. Hamm's character is that because he used to be the getaway driver in some jobs in the past, as he brought up, and so he was like taking the time to listen to the music, and he understood about like you got you you like to have your certain tune, you like to have this or that, you know, so you can get in your groove. So when you're when you're zooming, and and you start to really relate to this character, which makes it when. The, the last act when he when he totally goes like I said Terminator like as, 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 as you said yeah. Kurt virtually unkillable, <laughs> um, mm. which makes it even more. Um, He's got nothing to live for anymore. Anyway, yeah, yeah, it's more jarring. Yeah. You were saying, Michaela? Yeah. He's got nothing to live for once the girl's gone, once his wife's gone. That's it. <laughs> Obviously, she was the only thing keeping him going. You know. Yeah, like and, he, and the the reference to him being on on uh, on Wall Street or having been very successful, you know, in his time, that's very interesting. The self destructive part of him. Oh, exactly, because it was the drugs, and basically, from what yeah. I gather from the movie, they were making the money so they could have their 
their little vacations of dr- dr- drug field drug full field vacations or so yeah. to speak and then once they ran out of yeah. money they did another job yeah it's like wolf of, uh, like a wolf of wall street type guy who then goes completely off the rails after that doesn't work out <laughs> interesting yeah it was almost like uh, it was almost like wolf of wall street meant like oceans 11 and that was yeah, kind right. of john ham's character yeah yeah he was terrific in it i must say I think all he the actors, that very well. all the actors really brought their A game. I don't think anybody's performance was really lacking. Even the no. the side characters that you'd only see for a minute or so, they all brought it too. Terrific, especially um everybody. Uh, Lanny June as JD, he really brought it. Like we said earlier, uh, Joe or CJ Jones as Joe, he had an excellent performance, and it super. It's just something that I guess some films don't have when they have a larger cast where mm-hmm. not everybody gives that a performance. This is the best performance I could give for this. But in this film, everybody yeah. really brought it. So I think, I think yeah. we talked a lot about that. Um, uh, I was sorry. You, you go, Kurt. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, um, no, no, I'm any, any, um, Final thoughts about from, from the good things, you know, before we, because um, I don't think I don't think anybody here really has any negative thing, not negative things, but things they felt they could improve in the movie. But anything, no. go around. Anybody else have anything you want to add about things that they really enjoyed? I think. All I would say, go ahead, Jim. Oh, I was just going to say that I think um, all the things that I really enjoyed, we kind of all touched on, whether I mentioned them or every other people mentioned them as well. Um, so. For me, I don't think I wouldn't want them to change anything about this movie um, because then it would I feel like it would be off for everything else and it wouldn't it wouldn't work as well, at least for me. So, yeah, you were going to say, Kurt. I agree with you completely. And to me, it's a very, very well thought out movie. You know, and then the execution is so good, and the casting is is crucial. And they got that all right, and uh, uh, it, it and as you say about everybody brought their A game. Uh, Ron is doing this movie uh, with um, a fantastic cast. You know, with Bradley Cooper and uh, and Kate Blanchett, Tony Collette, Willem Dafoe. And he's and we were training one day, and he said, "I'm going to have to bring my A game." Because <laughs> <laughs> every one of those can 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 steal a movie any day they want. You know? So, so that, uh, that's was, the great things was, about when you get when you get a cast up there. Everybody wants to elevate themselves, including those other people, because they're looking at who they're going against, and and. Um, for those wondering, he's talking about Ron when he said he's meaning Ron Perlman, and um, th- those are things you just want to see. You know, you want you want creative types to want to bring it, and there and, and and that's and as long as that drive is there, it's 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 amazing what work people can still come out with and them do it, especially when they're challenged, not in a bad way, but in a good way by their coworkers, yeah. because everybody, regardless of what job you're doing when you're with other people that have that same passion or, or, or even if your passion's lacking, their passion will help carry you through those days when, as we all are human, you know, we have those times getting it going and then other people can just help bring it and, and you can carry you through that scene if you're having those issues. But if you're on game and yeah. they're on game, it's magic can happen. Absolutely. Which is what I think happened in this movie. And that's why everybody wanted to do it. Yeah. Because John Hams and and Bats's characters are not minor characters, but they're not leads, you know. And those both of those guys are lead guys. One of them's got an Oscar, you know. <laughs> um, and um, and they were quite happy to do these feature parts that were right on and sharp and vivid, just terrific. I think a lot of actors are like that. Mm-hmm. They don't mind doing it. I will say. The writing in this movie was excellent. It was incredibly well-written, well-paced, and well-formulated. So that's really the writing and the directing and how they made their final cut 
the whole process seems to have gone extraordinarily yeah. well. Yeah. I, I think a lot of that is, is, is the, he's done a lot of music videos and I think it's composed almost like a piece of music. Uh, and each part that comes in and now the flutes are coming in and now this is, now the voice comes in, you know, and it feels, it's got that feel to it. And of course the, the magic of the way he uses the music is, is quintessential to it. One of the things I'm going to make sure I mention, Edgar Wright is one of those, like you just said, a special director. You know, there's, there's certain, and I think a lot of the actors that work with them, even if it's in a smaller role than they might normally do, when you have certain directors, you just want to be in a movie with them. And that way you can, yeah. and have, that way you can say, I worked with so and so, and you can see what they're like. But also, one thing, the cinematography. As, as as you brought up earlier, it's, it's just excellent, and it's just how the action scenes, the stunt coordination, everything in this movie is just so wonderfully done by all the people that you don't normally yeah. see. Them, you know, people don't talk about the stunt coordinators. People don't talk about cinematographers or screenwriters. Um, you know, it's usually what you see on the screen is what you're talking about. But everybody was just so well picked from. Yeah. Different, different jobs and they were able to really do some um, magical work. Yeah. So the, the, what you're saying about the cinematography is very uh, crucial because he, they use a wide angle um, on all of the shots. And so you get much more information than you do in the average uh, thriller, you know, or average uh, action movie. Um, and you've got a beautiful image at the same time. You know, and the color palette, like you mentioned, uh, that, that was all very carefully arranged. You know? And even that, that steady cam shot, through the, I think they did it seven times maybe to get it, to get it right. And, and that was all one take. And then going in, ordering, coming out, you know, everything had to be immaculate. And uh, extras and when they walked by and, and, and then again, the color palette of that had to be just right. He had a light feel to it, and then he goes in and meets a whole bunch of rat bags. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's safe to yeah, say. Terrific movie. That was another thing. Like when he was with Deborah and they were at the laundromat, you would see all of the reds, yellows, light blues are in the uh, washing machines and it was all like one color in each washing machine. And then when you would see her around, it had a different color scheme to when it was her and him in a shot to at the end where it was like the white and blue for the white. I think she was in like a a yellow or a white dress and he was in a white t-shirt and blue jeans. And it went from like the, that to the, muted colors and the reds that were in the criminal organization group that was doing the heists. And then there were the other people that just wore regular clothes, but they didn't have that bright color that you would see in the scenes when he was with Deborah. And it, I guess it subconsciously helps you realize that this has a completely different emotion to it than the rest of the film. Yeah, I agree totally. I think it's safe to say that all four of us recommend this film. <laughs> yep, certainly. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was uh, it was my uh, favorite cinematic, entertaining movie of the year of that year. And there were other movies with dramas and all the rest that were top notch, but but this was the one I actually smiled at the whole time. You know that I enjoyed the whole time. Uh, and we don't often get to say that you, know, you 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 should be admiring this movie or you should be admiring that movie. Yeah, they were fine, but I didn't get what I got out of this fun movie, you know, delightful movie. So it's it's uh, that's my my enjoyable part. It's such a great meal, you know. You're very satisfied. Michaela, you have anything you want to add to why you recommend this to other people, or have you covered it all? I don't know. I think it's a a good all-around movie that basically anybody would enjoy. Um, All right, Ben? Uh, kind of similar to Kurt. 
this was one of the most enjoyable movies I've ever seen because it it's, it's just it's not slow. It has an interesting plot. Everybody that's in it is bringing some kind of energy that you don't always get in other films, and it just it's entertaining. It's a film that you can watch eight times and still want to watch it again sometime. It's a it's really a film yeah. that instead of renting it from a library or someplace, you want to buy it so that you can watch it again and again. I've got it. I, I've got it um, on UHD, ultra high definition, and and HDR. So I get every color and everything out of it. And I think it's one of the few movies that I own that is completely like that. You know, that's the best it can be. So that's uh, that. I agree totally with them. Uh, I've seen it six, six times, I think, at least. I know for Mikhail and myself, we were we were both watching this for the first time for this review. So, and of course, you and Ben had seen it uh, several times prior to it. And I'm happy that, Kurt, you picked this movie because otherwise I wouldn't have seen it. I don't think Mikhail ever would have saw it. And um, this movie, I mean, surprised me because Kurt and I talked about this prior. Like, how well did this movie do? Because Kurt says how he'd bring it up to people and people would be like, what movie? Like they, it, and it made over $100 million in the United States, over $200 million worldwide. So it, so by all the, the normal metrics, it was a hit that nobody knows about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, or something. It seems right. rather bizarre, you know, like a, a movie that did really well in the box office. Because a lot of people still don't know, and hopefully, when people listen to this review, you'll go find it and and watch it. And trust me, I mean, all four of us agree. You're going to find something you're going to really enjoy about this movie. If you enjoyed, as Ben said, the Fast and the Furious, this is the Fast and the Furious. And really, when they keep saying it's all about family and all this stuff, this really is a movie that has family in it and has characters that are defined, and it's not just. You know, a tank and a, a, a submarine and all this crazy stuff that the Fast and Furious movies have become. This is a movie that I hope they never do a sequel to um, because I, I like to have this special memory. And that's the one thing I love about Edgar Wright is that he doesn't really do sequels. He just goes to different – he works so well in different genres and brings yeah. special work out almost every time. I agree. Now, one thing – just before we um, end off the, the podcast, anything, um, Kurt, you, you shared a story with me. I, the, the kids, I haven't shared it with them. Um, you were in a movie with Joel Brenner, and yeah. something about you asked Joel Brenner for some advice about how to walk to a horse. <laughs> if you could share that story with with um, Ben and Michaela in the audience, that'd be great. Okay, so you was a very uh, intimidating. Person. He had a deep voice, and he was very a very big star. And I was, I think, eighteen, maybe nineteen. And it was an action movie, an action adventure movie, an old, old school type of movie. And I had to do a scene where I walked across the screen and got on a horse, jumped on a horse, and and then rode off. And I and you was watching the scene as I as I did it, and I came back to him and I said, did that look okay? And he said, yeah, yeah. He said, but I always think you should walk crotch forward <laughs> to make you <laughs> more dangerous. <laughs> and he, him, he himself, whenever I looked at his movies, I realized, yes, that's exactly what he's doing. <laughs> he always did that. <laughs> and it gave him a kind of sensuous, uh, dangerous atmosphere about him. You know? So he was... Uh, it may have been tongue in cheek, but he actually does did that, and I always did it up. <laughs> Not to the same avail. <laughs> Not to the same avail. But <laughs> well, I mean, Joel Brenner was one of a kind, and there'll never be. Yeah, I know people always say, "Well, this is the next so and so, the next so and so," and I always believe everybody should just try to be their own unique self. And Joel Brenner was definitely okay. unique and. Um, one thing I'll share, since we're talking about Joel Brenner, is when I went to a convention that Robert Fuller was at and um, was doing a Q&A, and Robert Fuller acted with Joel Brenner in 
the remake to Magnificent, not the remake, the sequel to Magnificent Seven. I think it was the Magnificent Seven Returns, and they were playing cards off, you know, on break time or whatever, poker. And um, Robert Fuller said how he put down, you know, a full house or something like that, or, or flush. And Yul Brenner said four kings, and and Robert said. There's only three. He said, "Yo, there's only three kings there." And he goes, and he kind of he pointed at the cards, and he goes, one, two, three, and then he points at himself, four. You know, it's being the fourth king from the king and I. <laughs> <laughs> That's him. That's him. Absolutely. And it was just, you know, yeah, it, was fun. I can just imagine working with him would have been, you know, and the stories that he probably had, but just, just, just being with him was a story in itself. <laughs> Wow! Yeah, he he had known everybody, anybody, any literary figure, any any movie star, anybody, and they all came to visit him while we were shooting the movie. So we we got to meet lots of other people. All right, awesome. Yeah. One of a kind. Oh, he was. All right, Michaela. Okay. Uh, thank you, Kurt, for joining us on this review of Baby Driver. I'm very glad that you picked it. Um, we hope that uh, my great pleasure. We hope that you all enjoyed this episode as much as listening to this episode as much as we did recording it, um, and that you'll join us next time to see which movie we'll pick next.